0: Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to The Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family and is sponsored in part by sadmenforlonelywomen.com. Sad Men for Lonely Women, because at some point or another, somebody stopped loving you. About you, boy. But you're
1: still Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in a film studies course. This week, as we continue on through Black History Month, we are doing Fresh Prince February.
2: Wait, is that why we're doing Fresh Prince February? Correct. Oh man, I had no idea. I just thought it was because we like Will Smith. That's a good and reason.
3: Alliteration.
1: I, I like I all these things. I like yeah. alliteration, Black History Month, and Will Smith. Um, all those things together. At once, and so we're going to be looking at his film Focus, Fresh Prince, February Focus. That's right, dear listener, say that three times fast, and you will win the no prize, uh, which is not a prize at all, because it's a no prize. That's a comic book joke for those of you who know. Uh, Moving right along, though, we need to introduce the disembodied voices speaking directly into your brain through your ear holes in your various and sundry generic MP3 playing devices. Uh, To my right, sir, who are you?
2: My name is Dalton Stewart, and if you want to tell somebody to fuck off, just tell them to fuck off. Don't say, gee, what a great jacket. Hey, hey Dal- Dustin. What a great jacket. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great jacket.
1: <laughs> you beat me to it. you
2: goddamn right, <laughs> I did. I can see
1: it in your eyes. Thank you very much for that. Uh, the man in a very, very dapper dress shirt today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
4: I got a dress for the occasion, bud. It's like Bond style. My name's Caleb Masters. I can convince anyone anything. I once convinced a podcast... Uh, that I was a professional podcaster, so I'm that
1: good.
2: You look like an unemployed gigolo. <laughs> wow,
1: well, thank you for the single most humorous introduction in the history of the Good Trash Honor cast, Mr. Caleb Masters. Um, not Dalton. Uh, the one singular female voice at the table, why don't you go ahead and identify yourself as well?
3: My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and with friends like you, who needs luck?
1: Correct, correct. that's uh,
4: sweet. There we go.
3: See yeah. like the mood.
4: Yeah.
1: Hello, my name is Dustin Sells, and like Bill Clinton, I make you feel like you're the only one in the room. And I'm so glad to be here with you all talking a little focus uh we're very very excited to be talking about this film now we're going to warn you dear listener this is not a review show it's an analysis show and so we're going to spoil the spoilers and the twist at the end and all that other stuff that's going on with the film so we want to make sure that you are forewarned for that we'll have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema and then our quick thumbs up thumbs down review and then dear listener spoilers ahoy let's begin though with that synopsis arthur gordon voice the cinema tantalize us
0: in the midst of veteran conman Nicky's latest scheme, a woman from his past, now an accomplished femme fatale, shows up and throws his plans for a loop, Big Willie style.
2: I'm pretty sure that's only the summary for the second half of the movie,
1: also. Moving right along, though, we're going to do those quick, brief, thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. We're going to keep it tight, and we're going to talk about what we like about the movie and what we don't like. Let's begin with you, Caleb Masters. What do you say in terms of thumbs-up, thumbs-down review? Keep it brief.
4: Focus is a movie that's all charms, little substance, and all about the misdirection. The film leads you to believe that this is one big con movie. When in reality, it's a romantic comedy that happens to feature con artists. There is a big difference between those two things. Uh, now, Will Smith and Margo, Margot Robbie are undeniably fun and they're charming. Um, and sadly, the fun wow factor can't make up for completely outrageous uh, con explanations and plot twists. While it certainly wasn't intentional from a, a script perspective, it was all. It was very cool to see. Uh, it's the kind of uh, romantic interracial pairing with the leads. If I had one nice thing to say about the film, uh, but overall, I just uh, yeah, I didn't think this movie uh, was was really that great. Lots of uh, lots of uh, trickery, and you, at, at a point, certain point in the film, you either decide I'm all in or this is bogus.
1: Alrighty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. In terms of your brief thumbs up, thumbs down review, what do you have to say? It,
2: yeah, it's it's a perfectly fine movie. Um, I. The, the the first half of this film is a, a really joyous, just kind of fun bit of um, of movie making, um, and it's the kind of movie they don't make anymore. It's a forty million dollar movie for grownups, um, and and that's it. I mean, you know, it's not for grown-ups because it's salacious or violent. It's just people use swear words, and it's not really. I don't know, something I think 15-year-olds would be interested in. And they don't make a lot of movies like that anymore. It, it definitely feels like a throwback to a, a bygotten era. Uh, I said bygotten. I meant bygone. Whatever. Um, kind of like uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, um, something like that. Or even more recently, um, the Oceans um, trilogy by Soderbergh. Uh, so that's really kind of what this reminded me of. Unfortunately, it's not that good, though. Um, it's okay. Uh, Will Smith, uh, and, and I'm sure this is something that's just going to keep being said for this month. Uh, Will Smith is great, and I have nothing bad to say about him. I think it's a really strong performance. It just reminds you how charming he is. Uh, Margot Robbie reminds you why she's about to be the biggest star in the world. I I, I like this movie. I'm troubled by some things. Uh, I'm troubled by how messy the plot is after the... the it's really a two-act film. Uh, it doesn't really follow that three-act structure. And the second act is just... Kind of bullshit and boring uh, and not particularly interesting. Uh, I'm troubled by the age difference. Did you guys know Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie is three months older than me. Yeah. That makes me feel like a tiny baby because she looks like a grown woman and I still get carted, which is just weird and disconcerting and uh, makes me wish I had better genetics. Um, But Will Smith is my mother's age. Um, Well, not, you know, he's maybe three years younger than me. He's in his late 40s. That's weird, um, and it bothered me, and maybe we'll talk about that some more later. But uh, overall, it's, it didn't feel like a waste of my time, but I've certainly seen better films.
1: All righty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you have to say in terms of your brief thumbs-up, thumbs-down review?
3: This movie was okay Every time I thought the film was going to take a chance or be risky in any way, it totally took the non-risky, non-chance maneuver. I feel this isn't spoilers, I don't think. Um, I thought, I knew there was a twist ending in the end of this film. I thought the twist ending was going to be that Margot Robbie was conning Will Smith the entire time and, and was going to steal everyone's money. And I'm sorry to say that isn't what happens because they set it up. They do set it up throughout the beginning. I think there are plenty of opportunities to take that. And that didn't happen. There are several of those points of we could have taken the interesting route. We decided to play it safe instead. The twist ending was fine and twisty ish. It wasn't, it didn't knock my socks off and that's okay, I guess. But it could have been so much more. That first thirty minutes when they're in New Orleans and the the cuts are so clean and it's so interesting and I'm very invested. Oh, it's so fun. It is a blast. I know it I know it's not realistic. Somebody was talking on the internet, you know, the internet about how just like con man movies, this isn't how cons are done in real life. Who, who cares? Who uh, fuck, fuck you. Exactly. No, it doesn't matter. It was fun. I was invested and engaged, but then whenever, as soon as we get to that football stadium, it starts to wane, and then when we get to the three years later, act two, I'm just snoozed. It's a fine movie. Unlike Bagger Vance, I don't hate that I watched it, which is great.
1: Well, all right. Thank you very much for that. And what I would have to say in terms of review is this makes me miss old Hollywood. This film feels like uh, one of the movies that were made at a, in a studio factory sort of setting. It's a B-picture in which you have big star characters doing a very sort of standard um Criminal plot, and for my money, it's stylistically interesting and visually fascinating. I think the performances from our stars are wonderful. I love me some Will Smith. I love me some Margo, Roby Robbie, Robbie. But Margo just asked me to call her Margo anyway, and I, she just calls me <laughs> Dustin, so it's fine. <laughs> so wait, that's
4: what Margo call Ask what is Will? What was he? What's he asking for, Dustin? Big um, Wooly style.
1: Mr. Smith but um, for my buddy I, I had a good time watching the movie and because I think it's, it's fun it's fine and there's nothing wrong with it um, it does what it does it makes certain plot choices as a film typically will do and ends in a happy ending much like they would during the studio era and as a result it gave me a bit of nostalgia in a strange way uh, even though it's a 2015 film so um, that was sort of my reaction to the film we thank you uh, for uh, giving all that information to us dear co-hosts we're going to move on right now though and we are going to play this week's game
3: time to
0: play the game, play the game.
1: <laughs> this week's game is our favorite cinematic plot twists uh, that's right favorite cinematic
2: plot twists brought to you by focus focus It turns out the guy that played Hilton and Mad Men is actually Will Smith's dad, but not really. He's his adopted dad. Get it? He was white. Not really his father, apparently. Apparently, uh, white men can't have black children,
1: according to Focus. All righty. Well, that's this week's game. We're going to take up our favorite plot twist. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what are your selections?
3: Well, I'm going to, first of all, uh, talk about the usual suspects, because who thought that was going to happen? Kaiser Sose, his real identity, and who is that, and the fact that it is probably the person you wouldn't expect is delightful. My other selections would also include Fight Club, because I remember when I was 15 and watched that movie, I had no idea what I was in for because I hadn't read the book, and that totally caught me coming and going. Did not expect that at all. Next, I would also say Scream because somehow I made it to 24 years of age without being spoiled on that ending. Yeah, I know. I so I watched Scream this past year for Shocktober, not having known the ending of the two the two men as the the Scream man monster killers killers Scream killer. I kind of I kind of got a little bit of a uh, hot fuzz vibe from it. So I know they're that they're. they're you know, cribbing from it. But, um, I didn't really expect that at all. And then last but not least, favorite twists would not be, I would be remiss to not include in favorite twists, a classic twist. So classic that it's just not even a twist anymore. The fact that, uh, Luke is his son, and Darth Vader is his father. I think that's just something that's now such a familiar pop-cultural phenomenon that we don't even consider a plot twist, and it definitely is one, like, whoa. Massive plot twist. Massive.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what are your selections?
4: I have to say, uh, the plot twist in the original Saw film, brilliant, sets it up. If, you're, if you have a keen eye, you know exactly what to look for, and you catch it, and you'll know that something's up. But average viewer totally doesn't catch it. And despite the fact that for for the franchise having a very reputation as a torture porn, I absolutely recommend people catch the original film. Uh, It's a great film. Uh, Next off, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at least one Christopher Nolan movie. So I went – they're all so good to choose from. But I went with probably what I think was the the most impactful twist, which was the prestige. The the dual plot twist between the, the truth behind Christian Bale's trick and Hugh Jackman's trick. Uh, both of them were like mind-blowing, great. Even uh, one of them a lot more predictable than the others. But either way, the mm-hmm. the implications of what was going on really is, is where the uh, is the is where the real impact of that kind of reveal is outside of just oh what happened. Um, lastly, I'm looking at you, Dustin. I'm eyeing you in the eye. I'm looking at you dead soon in the eyes. You want to know what? Like Alex, there's another movie that a plot twist is taken for granted all the time and considered common film knowledge. You know what that is? What's that? Kid? Rosebud, motherfucker. That's a great
1: plot twist <laughs> that people forget yeah. about because it's like, oh, yeah, of course it's Rosebud.
2: <laughs> Why Rose, are you Bud. so mad at Dustin Rosebud? It's
1: because, right now. because we. On it all the time. I think Citizen Kane is important and I think it's extremely boring. <sighs> That's that He likes it. He doesn't love great, it. I know. It's a
4: great plot twist, though. It is. It reframes the entire narrative the way you watch that entire film, which is, what, which is what great plot twists, I think, do, where you watch it and you see it and you're like, oh my gosh, I now need to watch the entire film over again.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your selections?
2: Uh, I actually would agree with what Caleb just said. One of my favorites is one I'm really surprised hasn't been mentioned yet, uh, and that is the twist that uh, we were on Earth the entire time uh, at the end of Planet of the Apes, uh, which is one of my my favorite discussions we've ever had on this show was our discussion about Planet of the Apes.
3: That episode is so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I just listened to it. It's fantastic.
2: I also wanted to uh, mention a Christopher Nolan film um, Caleb, uh, and that's Memento for me. Actually, um, I, the the um, John G. twist um, is great, um, and that's a film that really rewards revisiting. Um, I, I adore that movie. I really do. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. I legitimately think it might still be Christopher Nolan's best movie. Um, I mean, not, which isn't to say I don't appreciate uh, really all of his films. I like. I don't. He doesn't have a movie I dislike. Uh, but I think Memento is just so good and is so rewarding uh of, of repeat viewings <clears throat> and and not in a a puzzle boxy way you know what i mean it it, re, it rewards you uh, in that the the layers unfold uh, further and further out and it just the the tale becomes more complex and more interesting um and it just i just appreciate it so much more every time i watch it uh lastly if we're gonna talk about nolan we gotta talk about the guy that he's been ripping off for his entire career and that's alfred hitchcock um who can beat uh, the Norman Bates plot twist, man? Uh, that It's so good. It's so good. It still holds up.
1: Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of my picks. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I, I want to talk about an Edward Norton plot twist. Um, Primal Fear? Uh, Primal Fear, absolutely. Because yeah. I like that movie a lot. Now, I tell you what. Um, he's got a great plot twist in Fight Club. I, I think that's fine. The Tyler Durden stuff. What happens in Primal Fear that I think is so brilliant is you... It doesn't bury the lead entirely. No, not at which all. Which is what you're talking about what, yeah. with a good plot twist. And then when it transitions, it absolutely blows your face off. Uh, the Sixth Sense does a similar sort of thing. And uh, so I love me some great plot twists, and I like this discussion that we've had so far. dear listener. we'd love to hear what your favorite plot twists are. You can give us that information via those various means of social media that we'll talk about at the end of the show. But at this point, uh, we've got to make a special announcement to you all. <laughs> Hello, dear listener. You are invited to join the Good Trash Media Network for our first annual Oscar livestream party. On February 28th, starting at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, you can join us on Twitch for our coverage and live reactions to what goes down on Hollywood's biggest night. For more information on this event, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or on GoodTrashMedia.com.
0: Yeah.
1: That's right, dear listener. It's time to get down to business. And that business, my friends, is analysis. Since you're already singing and talking, <laughs> Dalton, what analysis do you bring?
2: I want to discuss something that I touched on a little bit in my review. Uh, and This is not a problem that that is unique to, to Focus. I mean, it is pretty um, endemic of, of Hollywood films. But it's the, it's the age difference be- between uh, our two leads. And I don't have a problem with this sort of thing when it's acknowledged, when it's part of the story. They don't even bother to bring up the fact that Will Smith is 50 years old. Like, he is twice this woman's age. There are definite power differentials going on between the two of them that are directly related to their age.
1: I do think, though, the age difference is more uh, able to be fudged. In this case, Will Smith
2: doesn't age. And Margot Robbie looks like she's always she's probably always going to look 35, at least until she's 60. Yeah, that's a good point.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think it. I think I think this is one of those movies, Dalton, where it, they, they had the script and it wasn't a thing in the script and they just cast whoever was the name. I really and, think that was it. I don't think that was intentional whatsoever. Well, and,
2: and here's the thing. Uh, I don't care. Um, I I agree it probably wasn't intentional and I think they just cast the two people that were best and good on them I mean that's the thing you should do cast who is best in the role Um, doesn't stop it from bothering me Um, I love Will Smith I love Margot Robbie um, and they have great charisma together I mean they're sexy together as hell I I believe it totally 100% the problem is we all know how old Will Smith is because he's been around forever and we all know how old Margot Robbie is because she just showed up so it's it's hard to not pay attention to. And again, in Focus, I think it's less of a problem than it is in some films. Uh, but here, it's been bothering me in David O. Russell's films. The, the insistence that uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are meant to be together uh, is just weird and gross and confusing. Uh, it bothers me. And it wouldn't bother me so much if we had just as much of this going on uh, the other direction. But we don't.
3: That is honestly exactly what i want to talk about this week dalton is about how <clears throat> as you know we have the introduction or the reemergence of the t- twitter account fem script intros which got a lot of traction in the media this week although as the mary sue pointed out yes women have been putting this up for years and of course it's a man that um, makes it into the big time with the news yes okay that aside yeah it's a
2: big thing this last week yes
3: it's been a big thing and i feel like this movie just exemplifies that whole case Yeah. you have Ross Putman who's a producer and he has intros for female leads and actual scripts he read. He changed all the names to Jane and the rest are quoted verbatim. So whenever I watch this movie, Focus, I am examining this film through that lens and it's just disturbing because if you read the twitter account basically there are tweet there are intros for women that are that are the nature this woman is 36 years old and she's all dried up out of life or she looks like she's middle age and casting 20 to late 30s. They're all of this nature that you're not allowing women to be old or to be even in the same age bracket as men. And yes, as Dalton discussed, there is no reciprocity in that nature. There's no thing that is similar for women allowed to be old
2: god it's the thing that fucking calls me uh and i agree with dustin and caleb uh that in focus it isn't quite so problematic because honestly they could both play the same age they're not though they're not playing the same age very clearly they are not she is new to this game he's an old pro uh, but there's just so little regard for it that that I do find it a, a little bit troubling um, and again there are there are films where this is a much bigger issue but it is so endemic of Hollywood plot lines uh, of the lead who is mid-30s to mid-40s uh, and the female lead that is in her early 20s uh, to late 20s at best I mean it's this ongoing uh, Lolita complex that Hollywood has that's just really problematic and it even had it in the goddamn film lolita that's all about uh lampooning this obsession our our culture has with western culture's um obsession with female beauty and i would say global culture's obsession with young female beauty um and then they missed the goddamn point in the marketing i'm not gonna put that on kubrick but jesus Uh, and it's just it just really bothers me and again. If focus had been better, I I don't think I would have noticed it as much because I didn't really notice it uh, until the film became about their love story. When the two of them were just hooking up, it didn't really bother me at all, uh, frankly. But when it becomes about the the insurmountable, uh, unseparatable love between these two characters, that's when it really became an issue for me. And that's really all I had to say. But Alex, let's go ahead and kick to you since this is something you wanted to talk about as well.
3: Oh, sure. I was just going to Continue further from your your perspective, Dalton, and my perspective as well. The issue, too, in this film is that I was giving this movie the benefit of doubt, as I discussed in my analysis, because I expected something interesting to happen, namely that you're going to get a Margot Robbie heel turn where she's going to be the big con man and screws all the men. Oh, over. your
2: review. Okay. You threw yeah. me when you said no. Oh, so, sorry. oh sorry. Sorry. No, I know. No, no, no. I'm no. sorry. Yeah.
3: You know it. So, whenever we get to the point where Margot Robbie, it's clear that Margot Robbie has nothing to do besides be sexy and be around. That's whenever this age thing also becomes a problem for me too, Dalton. Because whenever her role shifts from she's a femme fatale that might be actually pulling the wool over his eyes. Yeah, that's a horseshit
2: plot description. She's not a femme fatale at all. Well, wait on that.
3: Whenever I realized that wasn't going to happen and the fact that she wasn't going to get the upper hand on all of these guys. And she is then being used as we get the keen manipulation of her as revealed in, well, in the last ending sequence and everything. Um, Or, you know, you could read into that, that he was just spitballing, but it did sound so honest. It's so honest that it was painful, you know, whenever he's being uh, that last ending sequence when he's revealing the manipulation and all of that information overall i just i i just didn't enjoy how how watching this movie made me feel in terms of the age gap between our male and female pro tags especially whenever marco robbie became nothing more than just decorative wallpaper in terms of what she had to do all
1: right thank you very much for that analysis miss alexander bohannon mr caleb masters what analysis are you bringing today
4: um, so what I'm going to talk about a little bit is the how this film is a product of the Hollywood obsession, the recent Holly, well, the Hollywood obsession with Byronic heroes. So uh, yeah, so I'm going to get a little bit lit nerd on you guys out here.
1: Oh, go ahead. Bring okay. It.
4: Okay. So the Byronic hero is an archetype based off of the English poet Lord Byron, or as I like to call him, George. <laughs> <laughs> now what's funny is that the lead historian on this, uh, historian and critic Lord Malcolley yes cuz he has to have a lord in front of his name interesting i uh, described the character as a a man proud moody cynical uh, with defiance of his brow and misery in his heart a scorner of his kind uh, implacable in revenge yet capable of deep and strong affection so uh, to, to to lay it out simply he's he's a softy on the inside hard ass badass on the outside he's got a, a, an allure of mystery to him right Now, the archetype has never really gone out of style since its inception, but Hollywood and audiences, both men and women, uh, recently just haven't been able to get enough of this dark, brooding, kind of silent type. Uh, Now, a few examples. uh, So, you guys are thinking, okay, I kind of vaguely understand what the Byronic character is. Well, here's some examples to kind of tell you guys, to kind of point what I'm talking about. Uh, You've got, from comic books, you've got Wolverine, Batman. From young adult adaptations, you've got Edward Cullen and Severus Snape. And uh, then you've got from uh, the recent Star Wars, Han Solo. All kind of Byronic heroes. And so, yeah, they're, they're kind of everywhere in pop culture these days. And people really just have a thing for this uh, troubled softy who carries kind of the bad boy persona. Now, the entire premise of Focus is based on the, cur- uh, the current audience addiction to that archetype. On the surface, uh, Nick, Nikki, whatever you want to call him, Will H.W. Smith...
1: Is incredibly H-W, thank you very much for giving initials I haven't done that this far the show thank the you. show HW this week
4: uh, is an incredibly charismatic guy uh, but once the film begins to peel back the layers of that character we learn he actually is kind of bro- brooding a little bit and a little bit mysterious and then underneath that persona he's uh, underneath the self brooding he's actually a guy who really just wants some love uh, but he himself does not actually understand his own complex emotions as most byronic heroes don't. Now, enter Jess, played by Margot Robbie. In traditional rom-com fashion, the only person who can crack the code of the Byronic hero's emotions is the lead lady. Now, the entire film is constructed around, the, on, around this caricature and the predictable formula of the lead lady to quote-unquote save Nick from his own self, uh, self-destructive ways. And the, the film actually brings an extra layer of complexity by making Nick aware of her games to save him. So basically you're thinking, oh, this guy's a con artist. Of course, predictably the lady's going to come and save him. But then it adds that extra layer of, oh, he knows he's playing; she's playing her, him. Now, the film concludes in a way that leads you to believe that this is actually subverting the trope uh, by giving Nick the upper hand in the film's concluding twist. But what actually is happening uh, is a sleight of hand in the audience. Uh, Instead of bringing anything to say to the actual film's premises and con artist leads, it simply calms you into believing that Will Smith actually was playing the lady and had her in his pocket the entire time. Uh, When, in fact, um, they kind of conned each other. Although the Margot Robbie plot just would have been so much more interesting. Uh, But, yeah, so I don't really think this film brings a whole lot new to that conversation. But it is there. And this film is a product of Hollywood's obsession with said archetype.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I like that analysis very, very much. I would also turn the dear listener towards the Sandman for another example of a Byronic hero. Um, What I want to say in terms of my own analysis is this is absolutely an example of classical Hollywood cinema that moves above and beyond the tropes and sort of classicism of that system. Um, I want to talk a little bit about about film noir. Uh, Film noir is part of the classical system. But it also uses expressionism and also sort of incorporates other aspects of the avant-garde to tell, again, very, very typical, very, very common stories, usually oriented around crime. And I would situate the movie Focus as a neo-noir, as a film that's quite expressionistic in its lighting and, again, its choices as far as cinematography goes. When uh, the first conversation happens between Margot Robbie, or Robbie, But again, Margo just prefers me to call her Margo, and that's fine. And Will Smith, he prefers me to call him Mr. Smith. When they're talking about maybe getting her a cab and going back to the apartment. And we have this intermingling flashing of pink and blue lights. Do you remember this moment? Also, these moments of potentially loss of focus in which the camera, again, uses a, a very, very soft, uh, very, very um, shallow focus here and there. That This f- film does a, does a way that it attracts attention to its style without being an avant-garde film, which is all about its style.
2: I, uh, Dustin, I, I definitely picked up on that because there was one moment uh, where I was watching the film and I thought to myself, "Ah, I could use more focus, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Uh...
1: And it's a little on the nose at points, as is film noir. And Margot Robbie is a a film noir, femme fatale, in the same vein as Rita Hayworth in Gilda, which also is a a story about a gambler and a crook who has known uh, a woman beforehand in the United States and then travels down to Buenos Aires and suddenly, surprisingly, comes into focus and meets her and he doesn't expect to do so. And they sort of conspire together to uh, make their millions together and they're both successful in so doing. Um... And there's sort of some revenge actions that uh, that Rita Hayworth takes to sort of make him jealous in the same way Margot Robbie does the same thing. And what I would say about the film is this, is it makes me love and, again, remember those great B-movie film noirs, which are – I mean, I love film noir. I'm, I'm probably going to write a dissertation about film noir. As a um, as a graduate student, I, I, that, most likely that's what's going to happen. Film noir and its uh, its interface with the avant garde, um, most specifically surrealism, but nonetheless, um,
3: you mean it's going to be a dissertation that's about surrealism only, right?
1: <laughs> uh, no, surrealism and film noir, I think, because well, there's there's a whole conversation about the um, panorama of American film noir by Bormod and uh, well, anyway, there's a whole lot going on there. And uh, they have a very surrealist perspective in their dealings with that. But that being said, this particular film does, does, does great stuff with a very, very standard, very, very Hollywood sort of basic happy endings sort of plot with big stars, with your... Humphrey Bogarts with your Cary Grants with your Barbara Stanwyck's, with your Ingrid Bergmans that they're, they're having this sort of love story being told between these two characters in the context of a crime film and then the film work itself is very expressionistic it's, it's using everything the medium has to offer but within the constraints of standard um, Hollywood classicism in which it's not about drawing attention so much to uh, those those uh, again stylistic choices although you sort of notice the focus you sort of notice the lighting you sort of notice the greens the reds and the blues especially that are being used in the film but those things never become the point like it does in avant-garde film but in the same way in like a standard rom-com or a standard um hollywood crime film Like a Matthew Mahogany film in Mahogany. That's right.
3: (laughs) Matthew Mahogany. Mahogany?
1: No. Mahogany. Matthew Mahogany, because the man is made out of wood. Uh, Nonetheless, um, so in in all of those films, they they do very, very sort of standard stories, but they don't do a lot of stylistic sort of stuff. In this film, they're all about the stylistic sort of stuff. There is a moment in which uh, Margot Robbie finally comes to Will Smith's apartment or hotel room, and there's a tracking shot that she approaches, they make out in the door frame, and then they close the door. And the camera moves along the hallway until it gets to the bedroom scene. And when it finally gets to the bedroom, in the, the course of about, I don't know, 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds, I didn't time it, um, it's already daytime, to, to again, to signify the passage of time. Those sort of moments of stylistic brilliance to show you that this is, the, this is sort of indicating the passage of time is what old-school Fritz Lang, um, F.W. Murnau, old-school um, Billy Wilder old-school John Huston and Howard Hawks film noirs used to do. And what this film makes me wish for is, again, mid-level budget where you pay most of your money to your stars, and then you get a director in who is going to use the medium to the greatest extent that it possibly can. And in, in that regard, this film is absolutely um, something that needs to be elevated with the classical um, sort of um, new status of neo-noir. And that's why I appreciate it so much. And that's why I find it so very, very interesting. So thank you very, very much, dear co-hosts, for all your analyses. We're going to take just a moment now for a word from our sponsors.
0: Good Trash Genrecast is brought to you in part by sadmenforlonelywomen.com. Have you ever found yourself yearning for the glorious moments of your past? I know I have. But we can't offer that to you. But we can give you the next best thing. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness. A collection of the most shared, viewed, and favorited articles from sadmenforlonelywomen.com. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness is available over at Amazon.com. Pick up your copy today. Well-
1: That's right, dear listener. Now we're moving to the um, point of our show in which we must render a verdict. Shell for trash? Else or instead? Mr. Caleb Masters, I go to you first. What do you say? Shell for trash? What is your else or your instead?
4: Trash. This movie's lame. So I recommend you go watch (laughs) a couple of episodes from Lost, uh, which is a great show.
2: Which ones in particular,
4: Caleb? Uh, I think you, and and what's nice about both of these, is despite the fact for Lost having a crazy reputation for being, uh, you know... Uh, very uh, convoluted, which it is to be fair. Uh, season one's Confidence Man, very great character story about a con artist, really exceptional episode. Uh, as well as uh, season two's The Long Con. Now, both of these feature a character named Sawyer who plays a con artist, but both of them you get you get a real good. Both of them are really good standalone con stories. Like they're really, really solid. They're really engaging and fascinating. Unlike this movie.
1: Or you could check out my favorite episodes from the entire series um, from season two, Psalm 23, which is about Mr. Echo. Yeah, it's a great episode.
4: That's yeah, I a great love episode. it very much. I also recommend uh, you watch The Illusionist. That's a great movie about conning, uh, another con movie that's really exceptional, starring, also starring Edward Norton, which we mentioned earlier in the episode. And lastly, also mentioned earlier in the episode, I definitely say you watch uh, Ocean's Eleven because that's – that's a that's 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 a that's a, that's a con movie that happens to have romance in it, not vice versa.
1: All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, show for trash, else or instead? Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, I like a lot of things about Focus. Uh, unfortunately, most of those things are in the first act. Uh, it's pretty disposable overall. Uh, instead, I think you should watch really anything, uh, but uh, specifically uh, Margot Robbie's breakout role in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which is... Definitely uh, about con men of a different sort. Next, uh, I would recommend um, probably the most charming that uh, Will Smith uh, has ever been. Might be this movie, but uh, another film that I I just adore him in uh, is actually Bad Boys 2, which is a film that I can't stand, um, but is a fascinating cultural artifact. Um, And he's great in it. Um, And it's just weird at if you're going to watch a movie that's not that good, watch Bad Boys 2, because it's more fascinating in its badness than Focus. Focus is just kind of middling. Uh, lastly, my favorite con man film from the last couple of years has got to be Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom, um, which, as Caleb said, is a con man story with a uh, romantic subplot, not the other way around.
1: Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Shelf or Trash? Else or Instead?
3: I... I would hypothetically give it a cop-out stream it if it was easy to stream, but it's not, so definitely trash. Instead of Focus, I would recommend the 1961 uh, feature The Hustler, which is fantastic. I just caught that recently this past month, and it is wonderful, conning, playing pool, uh, high stakes, and probably an ending that Focus should have considered instead. I would also recommend Entrapment, because why not? And I would also recommend a movie called The Girl from Rio, which is not the movie I've been trying to find. I will find that movie, but it is another movie about um, a fin fatale lady who cons a banker Hugh Laurie out of lots and lots of money and uh, shenanigans essentially ensue. It's it's kind of campy and a lot of fun. And then, of course, Ocean's Eleven. Why not?
1: Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I am going to descend from the table and I'm going to say shelf because I feel like this film is alongside... Uh, the the premiere, the the, the debut of uh, Jack Palance in Panic in the Streets, uh, a film directed by Eliza Kazan, um, it's in the same vein as The Maltese Falcon. It's the same vein as The Big Sleep. It's the same vein as The Asphalt Jungle. It's, it's sort of a mess plot-wise. That's fine. But stylistically, it is really, really interesting. And that's what makes it valuable. That cinema is so much more than just simply the machinations of the plot. And it's about what happens on the screen. It's about the composition of the frame. And that's what makes it really interesting to me. Um, And, of course, I recommend those films in addition. And most especially, my, my primary recommendation, though, is Rita Hayworth in Gilda. Check it out because I feel like this film is an absolute... I wouldn't say remake. I would say inspired by uh, sort of secondary film to Gilda starring the immaculate Rita Hayworth. So do check that out and uh, do let us know what your recommendations are. And you can do that via those magical means that we all know as social media. Alex, tell us all about social media stuff.
3: Sure thing. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash media. You can find us at Twitter at Good underscore trash, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTGC. We also do have a website which is just goodtrashmedia.com because we are part of the Good Trash Media Network family.
1: And at that website, you can find not only our podcast, but you can also find articles written by all of your co-hosts here at this table. Um, We have some guest writers that come in and write some brilliant things, especially The Frightful Femme, written by Kirsten Terkelson, about horror, and it's brilliant stuff. Anyway, dear listener, check out the goodtrashmedia.com website for a lot more information about film and what film means and how it matters and great conversation therein. Next week, we're going to conclude Fresh Prince February with our final Will Smith film, which is Wild Wild West. That's right, dear listener. We're going to the crazy town and it's going to get so much fun. Kenneth Branagh, Will Smith, what more do you want? Wicked, wicked, wild, wild west. And so take a look at that film and have a conversation with somebody because films and movie watching is so much more fun than just 90 minutes and a bucket of popcorn. It's about the conversation you have with the people that you care about. So take a look at a movie, and we'll see you all next time.
0: The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Love Fox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com. Thank you very, okay, very much. Okay, ladies have
4: low standards, bud. I don't
0: know
3: what I'm <laughs> okay, ladies. Okay. Okie ladies have low standards. Hashtag Can't title imagine. of title
2: of his sex tape. That's our next <laughs> that's our next podcast.
3: Oh my god. It's a dating advice show. <laughs> next
2: Oh my god. We call I it you, Hitch. <laughs> Hitch. I'll give
4: you eight oh, things wow. not to do at a speed dating session. Is, well, that, is
2: that why you're wearing a fancy shirt? Yeah. Oh, that's great. You cool.
3: went to a speed dating session? Yeah.
4: Yeah, that was Th- my those morning. Those things are real. Those things are real, and they're in downtown Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma girls—they're weird.
2: <laughs> We're—we need to just do a uh, a bonus episode talking to Caleb about his speed dating. Ask how many did you? Women tell, already had kids. Did you uh, <gasps> tell them you had a podcast? Because that feels like a deal breaker on your end.
4: Um, I—I <laughs> <told, laughs> might have told one of them oh. that I had a podcast. How'd that go over? Um. Well, you know, considering <laughs> they had two, she had two kids. I didn't know about until after the fact. It's like, oh shit.
2: That, that feels like a, a balanced end of an equation. A single mother of two, guy who talks about movies on the internet. Like both both things that are going to be hurdles for some people to get over.
1: <laughs> Story of my life, buddy. <laughs>
3: this is so fun. Okay, let's, let's... make a good sitcom one day. Yeah.